Welcome to the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandettes? The Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 11, The Heiress. Pete, still no official news about the next season of The Mandalorian, but since we last spoke about this Disney Plus show, more info on uh, WandaVision coming out that date confirmed for January 15th, and uh, dedicated listeners to our pop culture podcast feed or our WandaVision podcast by Fantastic Geek feed uh, know that we've broken down some theories all the day before the date was announced. So sometimes that's just the way the, the way fate works. This is the way. In Mandalorian news, not a ton, Matt, because we know that they run silent. But we do know that Chapter 12, this fourth episode of this second season next week, is directed by Carl Weathers. Hopefully we're going to see him in it as well. Uh, maybe even to Gina Carano, despite her causing some more ripples on the social media. Yes. Uh, Pete, maybe further analysis as to how that might impact the story in our theory segment. But um, yes, we live in a world with consequences for what one says. And uh, Pete, if you don't have something nice to say, sometimes you shouldn't say it to all your followers on Twitter. With that, it's time to hit the hunt. The Razor Crest limps along to Trask with its trunk open. In the cockpit, the child and frog lady snore, her hands guarding the cylinder containing her unfertilized eggs. Mando's head hangs to the right when alarm begins to beep. Looks like they made it, everybody up, but... Dank Ferric. The landing array isn't responding. With no guidance system, it'll be a manual re-entry. Might get a little choppy, but there should be enough fuel to slow them down. If they don't burn to a crisp in Bryce Dallas Howard's homage to her father's film, Apollo 13. Yes, it was great that somebody on Twitter both caught that and did a side-by-side comparison of it and that she acknowledged it quickly and all of that fun pete also fun was that opening shot with the razor crest uh, limping to its destination it made me feel relaxed let me tell you why when we first saw that footage in the preview however long ago it was it was like oh no is this curtains for the uh, for the razor crest and to know that here it is in the third episode of the second season made me relax a little bit despite the fact that we're about to talk about the most stressful part of the episode for me um but just made me relax a little bit if you go back and look at the season one preview there was footage from all eight episodes in it and you can kind of you know had you wanted to dig a lot in terms of trying to figure out the story they gave you a lot to work with here most of that footage from the trailer now has been covered by this scene uh, or the uh, the uh, Deadliest Catch uh, ship that we're going to be on in a little bit. So mysteries and mysteries further abounding as the Razor Crest falls, not glides, falls towards the planet's surface. 
Yes, the bottom lighting up against the force of the atmosphere here on re-entry. The ice in the cockpit has now turned to water, uh, but Mando needs Frog Lady's hands. Um, we're going to take him to task, Matt. Uh, though they buckled up when they fell to the ice planet in last week's episode, neither Frog Lady nor the child are wearing seatbelts which really got me upset. What is this, uh, Star Trek? Right. Frog Lady uh, leaves her eggs uh, in her seat. Mando needs her to hold a lever back. She grunts in agreement. And great shot of the egg cylinder wiggling back and forth. She, she gave a look to the child, almost as if she knows what he's done to this point. Um there's an exterior shot of the razor crest streaking downward through the sky as a Mon Calamari dock worker wearing a cable knit sweater looks up. <laughs> knives out, Pete. Knives out. Uh, we hear over the radio flight control repeatedly asking the razor crest to slow down. Uh, Mando would like that too. Uh, they they end up rocketing towards the landing pad great visual addition of the green lights around it so it's clear to us that that's where he's headed mando blasts the landing thrusters just in time oh, i can relax pete my lego razor crest is now preserved for the future your purchased but yet delivered uh uh hasbro version of it uh, is fine then an engine misfires sending the ship into the sea pete i was watching this in bed in the six o'clock hour and gasped out loud uh risking waking up uh anyone who might hear me yeah all of this prompts the mon calamari to shake his head and walk away uh title card chapter 11 the heiress gives way to the razor crest being rescued by a walking crane seen in the solo movie another howard connection there uh kelp hanging from it is this worse damage than the jawas did back in chapter two um i think so both by the look of it and also just factoring in you know the sea water and things like that Yes, the Jawas stripped the Razor Crest pretty good, but one got the sense that it was kind of it was stripped in a modular way. Like I'm going to take out these four bolts and take away this plating, and the next four bolts and take away the plating, and all one needs is the IKEA instruction book uh, back in that first season in order to put the bolts back in, and then you have Smiley Face Guy tighten all the way. Ta-da! Now it's fixed. This is a ship that has been ripped up. A ship that has kelp dripping from it, seawater, etc. Um, I think amidst other kind of season-long story concerns, Pete, this is setting up the thirst for some kind of major overhaul, proper fix, so we can get it back to the way it was, fingers crossed, by the end of the season. Frog Lady leading the way here. The dock worker says that he cannot fix uh, the razor crest, but he can make it fly. Uh, Mando pays him to do what he can. He says he'll fuel it up if it'll still hold fuel. Amidst the quarren fishermen on the port here, Frog Lady shouts in Frog, 
and frog man arrives matt you know i've seen people talk about star wars ships this weekend you know you got your han leia okay maybe the gold standard okay you've got your uh anakin padme all right kind of in between you've got your ray low who knew you've got your luke leia which is kind of like one of those golden coins that actually is chocolate (laughs) on the inside which is to say good while you have it but then you real you just look back and realize there was a whole lot going on there that probably (laughs) you just shouldn't have pursued later seen in game of thrones but who knew in 2020 the romance we needed was frog lady and frog man there was speculation that Frogman was going to be the Geico Gecko, and they're the same color. Uh, Pete, I think that that's proof that uh, the uh, government employee uh, insurance corporation, Geico, uh, is indeed part of the Star Wars universe somehow. Not quite sure how. <laughs> we need to get our our fanfic folks on that. Uh, the ballad of the Frogman and his son, the Geico Gecko. Uh, but Pete, finally somebody gets a happy ending. No kind of no ifs, ands, or buts. Frogman, Frog Lady, uh, they don't take it away by the end of the episode, which is a, a relief too. Uh, and ultimately, Frogman points Mando toward the inn. Don't forget that our, not that you would forget, Pete, but the story not losing sight of the fact that the thrust here is Mando wants to find more Mandalorians, so he has helped Frog Lady. Frogman has info. The info is go over there to the inn to find others of your kind uh, and this pete also from the uh from the trailer from afar a hooded woman watches them and slips away before mandalorian can make eye contact there so something is afoot the frog couple wave to the mon calamari innkeeper and uh depart mando orders a bowl of chowder for the child The seats are scarce in the inn here. Everybody needs to eat, but Mando orders some info with his calamari flan. Uh, Yes, which I guess theoretically it might be different calamari flan than we saw at the beginning of the series, but I like to think that it's the exact same ones. Um, He's told that others with Beskar have been through here. The child fiddles with his chowder. By the way, Pete, I love the whole piping in of the chowder from overhead. I yes. don't know if I don't know where that idea came from. It might be like, oh, it's a well-known thing in the lowlands of Spain or something like that. But it just it felt so alien, but also kind of so obvious. Like if all they do is make chowder, then it just feels like it's a very natural yet alien thing. Um, we see in the chowder that it, it's kind of moving. A squid jumps out alien style. Pete, I guess they didn't get enough references to the alien films, you know, alien, aliens, etc. Last week because the the squid ends up around the child's face. Yes, Mando takes out a non-vibroblade, stabs a tentacle. It falls back into the bowl there. Um, A quarren has been told by the Mon Calamari to join Mando at the table. He's seen his people. He can bring them there. It's only a few hours sail. It'll cost them, though, before fog gives way to a fishing vessel where Mando and the child look out on the sea as the Quarren brothers work the ship. Matt, how is this show filmed 
in a small circular theater. You mean to tell me they did not build a uh, space uh, sailing vessel and go out on the high seas to catch mamacores? Though they did not do that, I mean, it is possible that some sort of set was built. Um, I think that when you go back and watch the first season looking for the edge between physical set and the uh, the LED backdrop, uh, which has since been named Stagecraft, uh, I think sometimes you can kind of see that if all you do is watch the background or watch where the ground itself meets the horizon and things like that, which is, is a, you know is a pretty boring way to watch this show but i don't know that that's the case for this season i feel like they've upped the game uniformly and probably had those discussions like hey you know awesome job getting from no led stage to making it happen but there's a few times where it's obvious how can we do better um but pete back to this sail barge this feeling of the show deadliest catch for those not aware it's a docu-series where lobster fishermen are rough out there in the 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 you know the icy pacific off of alaska but pete is not the deadliest catch to catch a mandalorian <laughs> uh i love how it's done in a way like oh yeah the, the this salty corn is just trying to show them what they do these these honest tentacle hydra folk uh, you want to watch the, the, the kid will like it too. Why don't you bring him over? Uh, Mando senses enough, at least to keep the child a little further away. But as they open the cage in the center of the vessel and drop the bait and the bubbles come up and we're told that she's hungry, a Quarren uses the spear to send the child's pram into the water where after a beat, the mamacore swallows it uh tentacles teeth it's horrifying but matt was grateful there's no shark in this episode well that's true though last week when we were talking about my fears something that i didn't fully we we kind of touched on but i didn't fully verbalize I, i didn't have the words at the time was kind of third in the list after sharks and spiders is like the notion of the thing under the water coming up to get you, which I know is very kind of shark-like, and probably the origin of that fear is the opening scene in Jaws, which is just that. Um, but in my head, I had the, is it the singing eels, whatever it is from um, from Princess Bride, kind of that thing that you can't see that's a threat underneath the water, and it being somehow different than a shark. Pete, we get that here, so John Favreau, please stop hunting me in my nightmares. I don't know what my number four fear is, but well, I will watch... Well, it's in next week's episode, okay? I, absolutely. I will watch the fourth episode of this season in order to find out what John Favreau knows about me that I don't that I don't fully acknowledge, I suppose. He's really Freddy Krueger, John Favreau is. <laughs> uh, Mando dives in after the child here the corn lock the cage the best car is theirs and mando comes to the surface coughing uh great shot from inside the cage here we feel confined just as much as he does the corn captain orders his brothers to drown him as they poke with their spears one hits home he sinks we go down with him a little bit we're rich brothers they need to finish him and uh, they continue to poke until other 
Mandalorians, these clearly female figures land on the deck. The two females stab and knock and throw Corrin overboard before a token male Mandalorian lands. They've, they've got to make the males feel like they still belong, Matt. Otherwise, you know, they, they won't want to watch the Star Wars. Uh, they, um, the lead Mandalorian female and the male lasso and blast more Quarren. The first female opens the cage and extends her hand to Mando in a tremendous callback to his experience being rescued as a child. Mandalorians do as Mandalorians are going to do. I have to say, Pete, I felt ever so slightly disserviced by the the subtitling for this episode, revealing Bo-Katan before uh, she fully announces herself. Uh, Although the flip side is, Pete, I was glad that Casca Reeves was named in the subtitles because I don't know that her name gets said. Uh, and then uh, the same later on for uh, the uh, Simon Cassianidis character, uh, Axe Wolves, who I will undoubtedly call Wolves at some point. Thanks. <laughs> I, I thought so too, yeah. I Thanks, mean, Dave Filoni. Your weirdo yeah. wolf thing is now my weirdo wolf thing. Yes, these three night owls, okay, uh, were reaching into the Clone Wars, Matt. And who thought the first live action character not seen previous to Clone Wars would be Bo-Katan Kreese and no less played by Katie Sackhoff in an episode that was filmed nearly a year to its air date. I mean, it's, it's Pete, I guess it's just fate. It is the way of the force. Uh, Pete, I know that it's Katie Sackhoff in part because uh, she removes her helmet, Bo-Katan does, as well as the other two. Uh, Mando is apoplectic. They are not Mandalorian, uh, having taken off their their helmets. Indeed, he asks where they've gotten the armor from. She establishes herself as Bo-Katan from Clan Kreese, last of her line. The armor has been with her family for blah, 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 super long time. Three generations. Uh, And she notes that Mando is a child of the Watch. Who? These are religious zealots who've broken away from the modern times to get to a more pure nature of Mandalorian. Yeah, and it's the necessary download we needed here to know. And there had been increasing questions. Wait, every Mando we've ever seen before took his helmet off. Jango Fett took his helmet off. Boba Fett, we can imagine at some point, took his helmet off. Although there was some gray area since we never had it. He looks exactly like Django, just no accelerated um, aging. Um, And everybody in the Clone Wars and Rebels, whether it is Bo-Katan or all the other Mandalorian, and then uh, Sabine and all the Mandalorians she encountered during Rebels, and boom, all right, what have we established? The Mando um, that we have come to know on this show, they are children of the Watch, the Watch being Death Watch, uh, This the group Pre-Vizsla, um, voiced by Jon Favreau, <laughs> who wielded the Darksaber for the very first time that we ever saw, 
back during the Clone Wars uh, established and that they are um, fundamentalist extremists and that this is child indoctrination. And uh, here poor Din Djarin, rescued by them, has been pulled into this. Uh, and he clearly is not happy with the current situation and, and their uh, lax views on the creed, etc. He flies away and uh, we get a really lovely uh, long distance shot where the remaining Mandalorians blow up the ship. Uh, indeed, it's kind of like Twilight as that happens. That night, oh look, pro- progression of time, uh, Mando is walking the streets and uh, some of the tentacle brothers, some of the Quarrens, are looking for revenge. Uh, Pete, indeed, their tentacles have some Davy Jones animation to them, you know, looking back to the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, including Quarren brother who cocks his gun with a tentacle. Um, it's just amazing how that makeup comes alive with that little bit of augmentation not that there's anything wrong with the dangly rubbery you know tentacle beard but it just really comes alive with the animation and pete they aim to kill mando's pet oh no is this again curtains for the mandalorian in this episode of course the night owls jetpack in again and bo katan tells them mando didn't kill your brother's she did before they open fire and quickly take them all out. Hey, can we at least buy you a drink? Uh, and he takes them up on that, except for the drink the drink part. But uh, it's explained that Trask is a black market port and that uh, the Mandalorians here assembled aim to steal back Mandalorian weapons. Uh, Mando says that's not his storyline, though. Oh, and he knows nothing of these Jedi. Uh, Bo-Katan can lead him to one, though. However, they need help. So the deal kind of made clear. You help us, we'll help you. Uh, and the story progresses later, uh, perhaps next morning, to them looking at an Imperial freighter. That's the one that has all the weapons. Yeah, a little bit of very important information back in that conversation, however. Uh, once they seize their stolen weapons they will use them to retake their home world of mandalore and then seat a new mandalore on the throne matt who in no way will be dinjarin by the end of this series pete quite a prediction particularly in an episode entitled the heiress by the way pete some discussion online who's the heiress as titled in the episode gee whiz there's three ladies in them. One of them is, you know, beloved sci-fi star uh, Katie Sackhoff. The other two, uh, one is in a frog mask. The other, a lot less famous. And only one of the characters is claiming, you know, like, to rule Mandalore one day. But I guess sometimes you need to watch the episode. Anyhow, uh, the plan with this Imperial freighter is to jet up just as the ship is in the shipping lanes. Um can't do it too soon can't do it too late uh mando then goes to the door of frog lady knock knock knocking on it uh she's happy to watch the child who's going to mind his manners this time uh (laughs) and we see a tadpole hatching as mando leaves so uh if nothing else pete some some calmed nerves from the uh ongoing debate from last episode uh about the eating of the eggs (laughs) 
Well, that and also one of the best responses I got was, or wasn't a response to me, I should say. I saw a response online where a female uh, person on Twitter was noting that she was having the nature of the whole frog lady reproductive thing explained to her by a longtime dude Star Wars fan. And, and yeah, so I think... Pete, how about this way? I'm glad to be leaving some of this stuff behind. Uh, there is the successful tadpole. Uh, Star Wars as a property tends not to go into specifics about our world. It's more about the monomyth and the shared experience and not necessarily talking about uh, reproductive issues and whatnot. And hopefully we can leave all that behind us. There had been a pretty cool theory that the child wasn't eating the eggs. We never saw him chew one. Uh, but more so since they were in danger and was sucking them down and protecting them. And we might see at some point, okay, the the rest got wiped out and then he would regurgitate the many eggs that he had uh, squirreled away. No, he ate them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good because at least one of the line has, uh, has moved forward. Uh, the heist... Uh, talk through scene though I, I want to go back and just point out how cool is it that they're on top of the razor crest that Costco Reeves is uh, reclined <laughs> as they're laying out the plan to hit this Gozanti freighter that uh, they're going to hit it hard and you're like alright I know there's been complaints in certain quarters the episode minute count has dwindled each episode this series but if this isn't the best, if not the second best, the, the Jawa episode from chapter two remains my favorite, but this is like right with it. I don't know what is. When the freighter takes off, great job there with the digital camera work to show the size and heft of it. It's kind of like, you know, one gets the sense that the camera person is having trouble keeping it in the frame because it's so big and they've added haze to show distance and all of that. Uh, we see closer up to it, the Mandalorians landing outside of it. Um, I initially was like, wait, why would they have stormtroopers out there? That's awfully convenient. But I suppose the stormtroopers are out there to watch for the very pirates that then do attack. So fair is fair. In the cockpit, Pete, it's the captain, played by Titus Welliver, uh, giving us yet another Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, guest actor in, uh, in The Mandalorian. So we've had three to this point. Ming-Na Wen, okay, uh, Titus Welliver, and Simon Cassanides all in these episodes. This, this uh, An episode with two of them. We had two Hydra members, Matt, in an episode in which there are actual Hydra. Indeed. And the, the captain uh, has the hatch sealed. That's the hatch directly into the cockpit. Uh, meanwhile, the Mandalorians get into the interior of the ship and start How to How many Mandalorians, Matt? Uh, Pete, in the cockpit, or pardon me, the cockpit hears radio chatter that the estimate is up to 10 baddies on board. That's the damage. That yeah, speaks to the damage that they are laying. But the pilot uh, runs a scan. There's only four. Uh, however, they are Mandalorians. Um, the captain, Titus Welliver, is told that they can't climb yet. Uh, what with the whole shipping lane thing. Too bad. Climb now. Climb now. Uh, that surely will stop the Mandalorians from heading to the cargo bay, right? Of course. Uh, they are working their way there. Mando throws some flashbangs. 
Um, back up in the cockpit, uh, the officer is uh, told they need to hold off with the whole uh, rendezvous to hyperspace, but instead we're going to close uh, the doors and back in the cargo area, uh, we close all the doors, close them all, because it's Mando's and Danger and I'm a coward Imperial. And then the the great pause effect of, well, we closed all the doors. They're in the cargo control area. Everybody goes flying out. Yeah, really, really fun moment. Um, played fantastically, especially by Titus Welliver, who hears it. And he's dealing with the fact that the, the ship has been boarded and they're trying to uh, gain altitude and all that. Wait, repeat that for me again. And then the payoff there. Now the Mandalorians have all their guns. Bo-Katan is told whatever they take, that they're going to be hunted down. No, no, she says. They'll be taking the whole ship. Uh, get some tea on. We'll be up there shortly. Uh, why is she doing all of this? She needs something to rule uh, Mandalore. Regardless, this ship is going to be used for future battles. But of course, Mando saying, wait, my job is to find a Jedi. You've changed the terms. And he is told sarcastically by, Go- by Bo-Katan, this is the way. You alter the deal, Matt. It gets worse all the time. We know this from Lando and Darth Vader and another maybe Mandalorian in Boba Fett. Um, of course, we know that Bo-Katan already is alluding to the Darksaber it becomes clear in a couple moments when that's explicitly discussed. Uh, in the cockpit, a hologram of Moff Gideon from the reverse angle here. We know from the voice it's him, however. And he's told it is yet another pirate hijacking. They need backup immediately. Is it the same pirates? Yes, it appears to be. How far have they gotten everything but the bridge sir well then backup is no longer an option you know what you need to do the two pilots breathe heavily and look at one another there's a great close-up of uh giancarlo esposito's uh moff gideon long live the empire repeated by welliver who in close-up then because of the blasts we see has shot the two pilots my only quibble matt with the titus Williver character is that he wasn't the man in black in this episode <laughs> i mean phenomenal to get him here uh and as we've said before with some of these other roles it takes a big actor to be given a small part and to turn it into something that feels fully fleshed out. I have no doubt in the months and years to come, we're going to get, you know, the, the captain character appearing in comics and in novels and short stories. And it's going to be the backstory of him. And 10 years from now, there's going to be, you know, a a 10,000 word entry for him on Wikipedia. And that's all made possible by the foundation he's giving just breathing life into this character here. Um, Ultimately, though, with the with Pete, we've gone from ascending altitude to once the captain sits down, presses the nose uh, towards the surface, de- descending altitude. What possibly can be done, uh, particularly as our Mandalorians start to not panic, but realize uh, 10,000 feet, 
not or meters, 9,000, 8,000, and they're getting closer and closer and need to act fast. Yes, with a Imperial escort there with at least two heavy repeating blasters that Axe Woves is able to figure out from these six to ten troopers stationed right outside the cockpit. It, it's heavy, heavy blaster fire. They've got to figure out what to do. And this is where our man, Mando, is going to step up with his shiny Beskar. I don't know the differences in chemistry or metallurgy between the outfits, but I know that one is the titular character and these others, their Beskar cannot possibly be as strong. So uh, he moves forward, takes a couple hits here, ultimately saving the day what with his um his thermal detonators there that he's able to uh take the whole squad out pete maybe it's not a matter of beskar metal but rather interior metal there you, you go know, that that they all might be equally protected but they all know hey there's a soft spot underneath your chin where you're you know uh, or at your neck or in between the shoulder and the chest and it's 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 Pete to use an earther term. It is chutzpah that allows uh, Mando to to go for that hundred yard dash in order to throw the thermal detonators in there. That indeed solves the problem with the stormtroopers. They quickly get into the cockpit, pry the captain from the controls. Bo Katan asks where it is. Uh, the dark saber does he have it? The captain has the great line here. If she's asking, then she already knows. She says that she's going to let him live, but he's got a suicide electro tooth pill thing. <laughs> um, I guess somehow the shock is better than, I don't know, something chemical? Uh, or, or at the very least, it's just easy to us on camera to see. Oh, it's from his thing. And, and Pete, now he's gone. Did you get the feeling he was going to bash his head into the blade that Bo-Katan was holding to his neck. Um, it hadn't, it hadn't appeared to me that way, but I think that clearly he's somebody who's dedicated to the empire in a way, uh, that, that others are not. So I wouldn't have put that, uh, past him. There's a distress call that's been sent here. They're heading, uh, out of the atmosphere. Bo-Katan asks if Mando won't consider joining them but there is something he still needs to do he's on a mission here but the offer stands matt if he changes his mind and of course we get the sense that that'll eventually happen she tells him helmet off here one more time so we can get katie Sackhoff complete with the headband device her character has worn in animation uh tell us matt that if he goes uh, to the city of Caladan on the forest planet of Corvus with the foundling, that he will find Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, super exciting. I mean, I, I know we know the character is coming, uh, but I wasn't necessarily planning for it so soon. Um, and again, this is, I dare say, the genius of this season's preview having been made up of footage uh by and large from the first three episodes because all of this stuff is new and we're not going to say wait giancarlo esposito as a 
uh, imperial bad guy with a mustache looking authoritative. Oh, he must be the season big bad, and last season he was. More mystery this time. Uh, the stories here converging. Um, the Mandalorian jumps off the ship and ply, uh, flies back to the port. Knock, knock. He's back at the frog household where they are washing their baby tadpole. It's bath time, man. Indeed it is. Uh, the child is picked up and the frog family ending the episode. Pete, happy. We do have that happy ending there. Uh, meanwhile, the Razor Crest still is in rough shape. Is this what a thousand credits bought? I love that the dock worker just hands over the screen. Presumably it's an invoice where you can see, yeah, that's what a thousand credits bought. Uh, ultimately, though, the ship is in shambles, but flyable. Ugh, Mon Calamari. It's, it's held together with spit and bailing wire. <laughs> and uh you know we'll we'll talk again what this means for the ship moving forward but yeah between the cable knit sweater between the really grounded old salt type of uh setting again in a in a small theater in uh burbank uh kelp in the cockpit uh got just some sweet netting behind your your chair there uh silly mon calamari still no seat belt for the child though uh we do see what i think is meant to be a tiny mama core starts uh, crawling along that's your crab squid thing um making its way to the child uh, we get the the creature vision you know the multiple eyes looking at it and just as it leaps for the child uh the mandalorian catches it if you go back and look it appears he's watching it out of the corner of his eye uh lunchtime and the ship wanders away into hyperspace to end the episode let's chase down some theories matt no seatbelts. Uh, all the peril the child has been in this season, we need to have the discussion. Is Mando a bad dad? I think Mando is the best dad he can be, having grown up the way he grew up with the Mandalorians. I think Mando is trying to give maximum flexibility and figure it out on your own and things like that so he's not a helicopter parent he's not a snowplow parent it's possible that he's giving more uh freedom to the child than has been earned now of course this being a fictional narrative and whatnot uh one shouldn't be surprised that the crab squid thing gets caught and there's no lasting uh consequence and all that um but i think i think mando thinks he's making a making a tough man out of the child and uh i don't know that that's always the case um we get our first clone wars character in live action or did we uh what do you mean by that pete have we seen somebody else in a helmet that appeared in the clone wars that hasn't been identified yet i'm talking about one of the other mandalorians voiced by john favreau maybe uh, last i had looked it wasn't definitive that he had um that he had voiced i believe the character's name was heavy infantry 
Um, it sure sounded like him. Um, and I'm going to look it up right now as we talk. But that could be. Um, Wikipedia does not have an actor um, necessarily. So I, to me, it still is a little blurry. It would be cool if uh, if we saw the John Favreau character back in the first season, whether he just voiced it or suited up or whatever. I just don't know that that's definitive. So pre Vizsla, who was voiced by John Favreau on the Clone Wars. He led Death Watch and had an association with Bo-Katan, and there was the split there. Uh, she went off with the Night Owls. Death Watch, the, uh, the patch, is visible on the Mandalorians who rescued Din Djarin as a child. So I'm wondering, Matt, if it might be established at some point that he was with that group that saved him. It's also set up this interesting dichotomy now. So we know that there are actual Mandalorians who go to the seat of Mandalorian royalty. Remember that Bo-Katan's sister, Satine, Obi-Wan Kenobi's erstwhile girlfriend, was once the queen of uh, Mandalore. Now, Bo-Katan, the displaced Disney princess looking for the dark saber sword in the stone so that uh, perhaps by the end of the Mandalorian, the other uh, Mandalorian can reign. I think what's so interesting about the show, particularly this season is all of that mythology and all of that canonical story that, that exists. It's out there and you can make those connections for this as a core show meant to appeal to a broad audience, it's not relying on that information. Um, we, we kind of get it all here and go, okay, that's you know that's interesting, that's great. And there's kind of there's no further um, there's no further delving into it at least at this point. Uh, so I don't know. It's kind of nice to it's nice to exist in a world where both. Bo-Katan has a lengthy Wikipedia article and there's all these episodes and there's all this mythology and all these connections to other characters. That is true. Simultaneously, you can watch this episode and she wants the thing that got mentioned and got seen at the end of last season and that gives you some sort of sense of where the next five episodes are headed. And it's the first time they've mentioned the Darksaber by name. So again, for just the Mandalorian viewers for just the live action viewers, this now being put into play. So Ahsoka, we knew she was coming widely whispered. Her name has now been uttered on screen. Still not seen her, but we, we will um, to have uh, Bo-Katan be the one to do that. Bo-Katan who had a close association with Ahsoka uh, with this final season of the Clone Wars that had not even streamed when they were filming this episode, we're now podcasting. I mean, I think it speaks to the robustness of the the state of Star Wars and the state of Disney Plus. Pete, it, it would seem folly then for one to maybe play with uh, one's involvement in Star Wars, one's involvement in Disney Plus. 
I, I ask this next question not out of necessarily a discussion about the politics and worldviews of Gina Carano, but uh, surely she's on a path where the most family-friendly, the most let's have no conflict, let's have no you know rigorous debates uh, entertainment company in Disney might decide to just simply go in another direction if she keeps doing what she's doing on social media. I mean, surely that's a surely that's got to have crossed her mind, right? The latest being in addition to uh, comments made pejoratively about the LGBTQ community now saying that masks are blindfolds. I mean, it, it's really getting silly. That and, uh, oh, by the way, come follow me on Parlor. Um, so, Matt, if only there were uh, strong female characters that could take her place. Well, that's just it. I don't know what the character... I don't know what Cara Dune's fate is this season. Maybe Gina Carano is uh, dealing her cards from a place of knowledge. You know, if, if uh, Cara Dune was already killed off pre... Uh, you know, pre-controversy, then maybe that's that's leading towards her, you know, uh, dancing with fate or whatever it might be. But regardless of what this season holds, we've seen how all of these Mandalorian episodes, they might be con- more connected or less connected, but rarely does one story from one week carry over to the next, let alone let alone from one season to the next. You know, which is to say, if Giancarlo Esposito had... Uh, in between the two seasons, if he had uh, suddenly decided he was going to retire and never work again and blah, blah, blah. Okay, I don't, I mean, you could have come up with solutions like he didn't need to be in this episode and maybe it's his number two guy or maybe, you know, whatever it is, you could easily get the Darksaber stuff story-wise that you wanted without using him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the the best thing about Gina Carano's presence in the first season was her tough-as-nails uh, presentation of you know being a woman, being a veteran in the Star Wars universe, and all of that. We're adding to that list in this episode. We're adding to that list presumably next week or soon, whenever Ahsoka shows up. So it might just be from a certain PR management perspective, win-win to say, and we will bring back Ahsoka and Bo-Katan, and uh, I guess Cara Dune is still on the planet of Bliblop, and maybe we will return there one day. In five years, in a comic book, that's it. You spelled it out prior to the season when some of her ugliness had started uh, to to really manifest on social media. Uh, boom, boom. Oh wait, Kara, what? No. Beginning season three. Oh wait, is that? Yes, it's Mingna Wen's. Fennec Shand, hey Mando, I hear you need a new blaster. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is a show largely made up of, only this way, the final draft of this, of each episode, requires Pedro Pascal to go into either a recording booth or the closet in his home and say things. And then the rest of it is all editing and visual effects and whatnot. The ability to the ability to jettison a character, if needed, uh, is is strong in this show. But, but Pete, shall we extend the antenna? Let's extend that antenna, Matt, to comms here. Mm-hmm. 
Pete, we start as we so oftentimes do with our Twitter poll, and this one, lots of votes rolling in, showing the strength of the show here. Uh, Pete, all the choices were by helmet this week. One helmet, stinky. That's how I imagine the ship is after all the the uh, kelp on it. Zero percent. Two helmets, sinking, got one point five percent. Three helmets, solid, got twenty two point four percent. And four helmets, stellar, got seventy six point one percent. Some replies to our tweet, James, it's at Big Killen, said, This episode pulled in so many great things about the Star Wars universe. The animation to live-action crossover of Katie Sackhoff is the coolest thing maybe ever. Her name-dropping Ahsoka and casually talking about Mandalorian history and the Darksaber was surreal. Uh, we heard from Ian Knight, that's at Zort70 on Twitter. The Filoniverse was strong with this one, short but packed a punch. Uh, we heard from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo1983, that said, uh, he said, Finally, some Mandalorian history. They packed a lot of action and exposition into a short episode. Bryce Dallas Howard deserves kudos for that. Can't wait for next week. Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan was perfect. Hope we get Ahsoka next week. Uh, and that tweet was replied to by Shane, that's at Movie Comic 23. It mirrors Season 1, so Chapter 4 of Season 2 is going to be another side episode yay so pete your thoughts there on this season mirroring the, the the construction of last season i mean from a certain point of view <laughs> uh carl weathers back next week does he direct himself do we get the uh grief carga cara dune catch up um I think the question, too, is can you have an episode of The Mandalorian without The Mandalorian? Could we have a Grief Karga Cara Dune adventure with little to no involvement of Din Djarin? Almost um, like a... And he was on his way to uh, Kaladin, to the city of Corvus. I, I might have gotten that backwards. Um to, to go find Ahsoka and in the meantime uh, Grief and Kara went on an adventure I think it'll be interesting to see whether this um, this esteemed uh, director will be directing himself or not I know you know if you if you dip back to the Star Trek end of things uh, it tends to be quite a chore um, to appear in an episode that that one is directing um, or for you know the same person, I'm trying to say. So, on the one hand, it might seem logical. Hey, he's already around acting. Why not direct too? I think sometimes in execution, that might not be the case. But time will certainly tell. Uh, back to Twitter here. Ezil Galoff, that's at Dr. What, W-U-T-T, says uh, in response to how, how are we going to vote in the poll, no contest for... Bryce How uh, Bryce D Howard on Twitter knocked it out of the park. She's a new Star Wars princess. We also <laughs> heard from Edgar Danger. That's at Poe Trial. Kudos to Bryce Howard and Katie Sackoff. Really great way to deepen the Manda lore. L O R E. <laughs> Mando continues to be the most gullible and easily played character in the show. The show still plays out like a video game, but this was a massive improvement. Uh, we heard from Spider Ham Lincoln, that's at TessLC139 on Twitter. Stellar is a great description. Exciting, action filled, fan servicey, but not to excess. It was the best episode of season two so far, though 2.1 was really great. 
Loved Bo-Katan and Company, the Mon Calamari, the Quarren. Everything is awesome. Uh, and then last but certainly not least, Pete, we heard from AKA Frank Castle. That's at DJ underscore Black, B-L-A-K, 357. Agents of Mandalore, Hail the Empire, Cut Off One Head, Two More Sits Appear. <laughs> wow, best episode of the season. This is the way. This is the way. To Facebook, Matt, where Sandy Racinides, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, wrote in uh, for last week's podcast post for Chapter 10, The Passenger. Can't wait to listen later. You guys really are the best. We're re-watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I go back and re-listen to the podcast after each episode. Uh, LOL emoji there. Then Scott Lincoln. Uh, who you mentioned through Twitter. Uh, another great episode. Some may call it filler. I call it another day in the life of the Mandalorian, and I'm glad we get to experience it. I first thought Frog Lady was going to be a lame plot point, but as soon as she used Zero's uh, vocoder, question mark, at the end there, I was invested in her story, most likely because the language barrier was no longer a thing. She became a strong but sympathetic character. This show always does such a great job of following a less is more storytelling method. We don't have to have wall-to-wall excitement and drama to enjoy the show. Thanks again for another great podcast. And I think great observations there, uh, including... The reminder that The Mandalorian, as a concept for a show, it's meant to be a little bit more spare. It's built on these cowboy cowboy western movies of guy goes into town looking for gold, has adventures along the way, shootouts, this, that, the other, and then leaves with the gold at the end of the movie, that sort of thing. There is sometimes a little whiplash, I think, going from Star Trek Discovery episodes that are talking about history and science and you know commentary on modern issues uh including the trans community and things like that and then you do an episode of the mandalorian and say so wait it's just about him trying to find more mandalorians like like what's his quest in this episode find mandalorians so they can tell him go to this other planet where there's a jedi yeah that's the the construction of it but there's the adventure along the way and it's just it's a different story master that this show serves compared to a lot of other shows and that's that's okay are you aware of the fan theory to make the phrase the name baby yoda canonical no and that's lame why is it lame because i think that's a cute name that is not in line with the harshness of the star wars universe Furthermore, this is a show that uses the blank for all sorts of things. There's the captain, the dock worker, and on and on. It's just, it's again, it, it's this, you know, the stranger, the cowboy, the farmer, the sheriff. Uh, can have him continue to be the child. It's a reminder of the aesthetic of the 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 the, the storytelling form that the that the show takes place in. Matt, tell me your heart wouldn't melt if when we catch up with Ahsoka, who knew Yoda, Yoda has now passed away six years prior in the events of Return of the Jedi, 
she may or may not know that because of her connection to the force. But when she is presented with the child remarks, it looks like a baby Yoda. Well, Pete, I would say a baby Yoda, I would be okay with. Baby, capital B, Yoda, capital no, Y. No, I was never implying that the oh, name okay. would become Baby Yoda. But somebody put that out there, and I'm like, you know what? Done with restraint in in a proper way to have Rosario Dawson, a, a, a super fan, okay? Somebody who's said, you know, I want to be a Klingon in Star Trek. Somebody who openly uh, lobbied for the role she's now received as, as Ahsoka Tano. For her to utter the phrase Baby Yoda on screen and make it canonical, I'm 110% behind that. Pete, I say make it so. Am I allowed to say that on a (laughs) Star Wars podcast? I say let's do it. We'll have to get a ruling, Matt, from uh, Grand Admiral Moth Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 3. Last week I said this Mandalorian has no lucky streak. Well, it proves again. Finally landing at this space harbor and then falling with his razor crest into the water. It resulted in a nice picture though how this big big crane lifted the razor crest from the water. Then he gets trapped with a mama core and almost drowns. Then he finally meets some Mandalorians, but they are now real Mandalorians according to his belief, not true to the way of the Mandalore. His razor crest gets worse and worse, and I really love that ship. I even consider asking a Lego razor crest for Christmas, more than 1000 pieces. That will keep me busy for a while. Should be a good distraction from all this work. Because in COVID time, doing a lot of work from home. The borders between work and private life really vanish. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. And I want to finish up with the funniest and best scene of the episode. I think we have them trapped, sir. Trapped them where? In the cargo control area. Where? Pete, Fred's wise words, always appreciated there. I can say as uh, as the owner of what was called the Lego Razor Crest, uh, it's a fun build. However, uh, it apparently can't be called that in Europe due to copyright things. So, Fred, if you can't find it under Razor Crest, I think it's, it's being called... Uh, lego the mandalorian bounty hunting ship or something like that but it's uh it's a super super fun build the photo he attached to his email does say the razor crest but i can 100 percent vouch for what matt is saying there's a there's a film there's some copyright beef uh outside the united states uh my hasbro has lab Razor Crest had better say Razor Crest, or I'm going to demand my $350 back. <laughs> uh, Pete, uh, Fred also mentioning how luckless the Mandalorian as a character can be. Pete, a reminder that 
you know, though he might have barely been able to land and then something went wrong and in the drink he went. Pete, he is our hashtag 2020 representative. Oh, 100%. Well, Pete, as we continue, as we look ahead to the next chapter in The Mandalorian, how can people be in touch with you to talk about Star Wars? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,699 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Well, I know in the next week we might have some WandaVision discussions to have. I know there's going to be, speaking of Legos, there's going to be some Star Wars Lego content on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and of course, next weekend we're back at it, first with episode 306 of Star Trek Discovery, then continuing for the fourth episode, the second season for The Mandalorian on Sunday. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. You killed my brother. 